podcast with me phil and me paul and on this week's show we return once again in our never-ending it seems retrospective of series two and uh, this time we've reached uh, the impossible planet uh, which we should be discussing later on but first let's have a little bit of news and it is a little bit of news isn't it it is yeah there's um i think after being away for a couple of weeks we had a bit of a bumper edition last week and uh well of course as we're now back to sort of on, on a weekly basis for the time being. Of course, the, the news is rather paltry. So. Um, but I suppose the the big announcement this week that there will be a 3D cinema event um, where they'll be showing Dark Water and Death in Heaven in a special uh, 3D screening. However, uh, this will be only in the United States. Um, this has been organised by BBC Worldwide North America and Fathom Events. Uh what do you think of this then, Paul? Um, they're welcome to it. No. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been a sense if it had been something else, one of the other episodes, perhaps, from yeah. I might have been bothered. <laughs> I'm not totally sure I'd have bothered going to see it. Well, that's... It's actually saved me having to force myself to go and see it. Probably. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think if it had been on the cinema, I probably would have, I probably would have gone. Yes. Um, if it had been shown in the UK, if I'm, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, but apparently the, the reason the BBC gave um, initially was that because there are already, um, you've got the Symphonic Spectacular, which was a big success, and you've got the Doctor Who Festival in the UK, um, they felt that um, if they started showing Doctor Who in the cinemas, it would be oversaturation and nobody would bother to go and see it. Um, which I think a few... UK fans have said, well, you know, London isn't the UK. No. You know, um, there are... You know, <laughs> no, apparently not, Paul, apparently not. It's, it's well, that's... Well, so informative, this podcast I know, this it's, week. It's difficult to believe, I know, but... Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I can understand people's sort of anger, you know, but, uh, you know, London isn't the UK. It's not the centre of the universe, and there are Who fans across the... Across the country. Across the home counties. Across the home counties, yes. <laughs> However, um, there was another um, reason given as well. Rachel Talalay, who directed um, Dark Water and Death in Heaven, um, actually sort of asked why this... Well, I think she actually asked the BBC why it's not being shown in, in cinemas. And apparently it's to do with not a lot of cinemas have the Dolby Atmos system, which is one reason why, the reason why the, the cinemas haven't picked this up. Bowl accounts, so um, and, and, and probably the doctor hasn't had a good, good, good history with the Atmos system, has he? No, indeed, and it nearly indeed. killed him in the <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of slightly disappointing, I think. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's just the attitude, you know, that we're, we're already getting a lot, so you know, we're not, not going to give you, you know, a cinema release as well, which I think was. Well, well, I- I suspect, actually, yeah, this is this is the fact. A, a bit of a bollocks Cin- theory, really. Cinemas, cinemas aren't interested in it, and rather than say, actually, nobody wants to show it. Yeah. There's a bit of face-saving going on trying to say that it's... Yeah. Oh, we're doing so much else, we can't be... We can't really find time to show this. Yeah, I know, I know. I just, I've probably... this, is, this is the 
I, I don't really feel like going out tonight, notwithstanding I've not been asked to go anywhere by anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it does seem a little bit like that. It's just sort of like they've been a sort of, you know, the, the sort of like, the, you know, the, the, the person in the group that nobody ever phones up to ask to go out anywhere, isn't it? It's sort yeah. of like always the last person to ask. You know. Kenny's dark walls are definitely in heaven in 3D. Yeah, exactly. Sort of a, yeah, I was busy anyway, you know. So. Yeah. It's, it's at home in the UK washing its hair with dark <laughs> Oh, dear. Yeah, but I think I think that the, the thing that, as I said earlier, I think that the thing that sort of annoyed UK fans, not so much that it, you know, um, it's it's not being shown. It's just the fact it was the it was the reason given yeah. is that we're all be given plenty of Doctor Who um, content. Thank you very much, and um, you you don't need to see they it in are the spoiling cinema. Spoiling us with their Doctor Who content. Oh yes, they are indeed. But uh, but again, everything's very London centric because everything usually is. So I mean, fine for us. We live in London. We yeah. we can't complain, but you know if you're outside London, oh no, have you, you heard know. the podcast? Oh well, yeah, but uh, if you're outside London, Sodja, <laughs> we're back in the BBC on this one, one hundred percent. We're only joking, of course, we're only joking. Um, now on to, um, but if the BBC would like to give us free tickets to any, <laughs> yes, indeed, yes, we're indeed. totally backing the BBC. We're totally backing you. <laughs> Oh dear! Now, um, on, on, onwards and upwards. The um, now, I think we we mentioned this sometime last year, and I thought this is already happening actually. Um, but Barb, that is the Broadcasters Audience Research Board, is for the first time to release official figures showing the level of UK viewing through on-demand and live stream content through um, all the various online um, TV player apps. Um, now, I thought this was already included as of March this year, but apparently not. Um, this will start in September, or the first reports will be, will be released in September. So really just in time for uh, Doctor Who, really. Yeah, I know. That's obviously because that's all the whole thing, everything revolves around Doctor Who. Of course it does, of course it does. Now, apparently, um, the BBC's own, own BBC's own research, um, which there, was it the Live Plus 7, uh, shows that up- they're giving us too much. <laughs> too much. They're going to cut back on their online content, except if you live in London. <laughs> Will you be given more? <laughs> uh, now, apparently, the, um, the their research shows that the, the you know from their Live Plus Seven report is uh, up to ten percent of the audience for Doctor Who currently watches it online, and this isn't currently being counted in the official figures. Now, this is either going to be... Um, I reckon this will probably go in Doctor Who's favour, audience figure-wise, because I, I think there's yeah. probably an awful lot more people watch that than, say, probably like the big hitters like EastEnders and stuff. I think they've got more of a core audience will watch it when it's on, I yeah. think. I think that's the that's the thing. So maybe this this might give it a little, little bit of a boost. Who knows? Or it might send it's crashing back down the charts. <laughs> well, well if, if it was 10s yeah. guaranteed, we don't care now. We do don't we? care now, exactly. Exactly. Um, this is either, um, you know, as I said, going to go in Doctor's favour, or it's going to be a stick to beat it with, um, which yes. the national press love to latch onto um, with with these things. They're absolutely obsessed with the audience figures for Doctor Who, and I'm desperate to prove that it's going to be cancelled. And uh, God knows why, because when it's being filmed, they can't wait to spoil it for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I never understood their. Uh, they have sort of reasoning behind all of that, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see come September what um, what this will have. And of course, September Paul means stats. 
Yes. Yes. This is where the real excitement comes from. It is, isn't it? Especially for our listeners in London. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Now, um, now just to wrap up the sort of like the the news. Unfortunately, we've got another um, another sad bit of news that the actor and director Robin Phillips um, has died at the age of seventy three. Now, if you're not familiar who Robin Phillips is, he played um, Altos in um, five episodes of The Keys of Marinus, which was a William Hartnell story. Yeah. Um, they, We've not actually got around to doing anything with, have we, for the podcast yet? No, we haven't, have we? Um, we were going to do Keys of Marinus at one point, weren't we? Sort of like say we were going to do it as a commentary or something, and then yes. decided it was a bit too long. Yes, except we're building up to the six episode. Yeah, that's it. That's it. it, it the reason we don't pick six episodes is winter nights. Well, we do. That's the thing because it's when we've been recording lately. It's been sort of like in the summer. It's just too hot to sit there for mm. too too long. With uh, but mind you, as we did with our last audio country, we had the fan running, didn't we? Yes. Maybe it doesn't matter anymore. Maybe it doesn't matter anymore. But um, yes, now he also appeared um, in other TV shows such as Compact, The Full Size Saga, The Avengers, and The Saint. And apparently also played the title character in uh, a 1969 production of Charles Dickens' David Copperfield. So, yeah, another another act. And 73 is not that old, is it? It doesn't seem that old nowadays, no, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But uh, apparently he had, he had a, a sort of prolonged uh, a prolonged illness. So, um, yes, yeah, so our thoughts are with his um, friends and family right now. So, uh, anyway, that that's it for the news. I said it really was a very, very short news item um, this week. But... We do have time for one quick jaunt to Omega's Tech Corner. You pester me with trinkets! Now, um, we haven't been sort of bringing the tat lately, have we? No. No, it's, it's been a bit thin on the ground, but um, this is one we actually put into our Facebook group uh, a bit earlier in the week. And this is a courtesy of um, Entertainment Earth, bringing Hollywood home. Uh, it's, a, it's a first Doctor figure. It's 1.6 scale. This is an action figure as well. Now, this is coming in November <laughs> 2015. Action being sort of like, doesn't really <laughs> go hand in doctor. hand with the first Doctor, no. Yes. <laughs> yeah, now, shall we... Um, do, do you want to do, do read out the description, or shall I? or Because uh, you, you spotted something rather rather good in there, didn't you? Um, I, well, I don't know. It, it, it says, the first Doctor had an unquenchable thirst to explore. Hmm. <laughs> mm, Interesting. Okay. And a knack for getting himself into trouble doing it. An exile from his home world, the Doctor wanders through space and time in his trusty TARDIS with his granddaughter Susan. Outfitted in flamboyant gentleman's attire. <laughs> what is that flamboyant? <laughs> including a cape and astrakhan hat. The first Doctor comes with numerous accessories, including his horn and a wig. <laughs> you had to put the gap, the, the little break in there, didn't you? <laughs> Monocle and pipe. I forgot he had a pipe to begin with, didn't he? Yes, just for the first episode. Just so he could produce fire, wasn't it? That was really? it. Yeah, I forgot about the pipe, yeah. It has... Continue, continue, yes. No, with eight interchangeable hands. Eight? Always, always handy when you've got the horn and a walking cane. <laughs> I thought, I thought, I was like, is he Ganesh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, carry on, carry on, sorry. To enable numerous poses and a light-up display base. <laughs> There's nothing like having a light-up display Oh, no, base. no, I'm, I'm sitting on one right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it says, welcome to London. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Orlando. I'm definitely spoiling us with too many features there. Oh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it stands 12 inches tall, comes numbered, and includes an accompanying certificate of authenticity. Yes, yes. It also says the other costuming features include a long striped scarf, frock coat, patterned waistcoat, trousers with suspenders, white high-necked shirts, cravat, necktie, socks and spat-style shoes. Now, it is a rather good-looking piece, isn't it? It is, actually. If, if I'm honest. Um, however, here comes the, here's the catch. Here's the catch, actually. This will set you back. Now, at the moment, um, this is just in the USA. I don't know if it's going to ship outside the USA, in, uh, international, I don't know. Because um, all it says is free shipping on this item, USA only. So I'm, I'm imagining there must be an international um, uh, shipping uh, charge to this. But this will set you back a whopping $289.99. Yes. Yes. Now, okay, it's 12 inches tall. It's, you know, it's, it's a decent-sized figure. Um, however, I do think it looks more like David Bradley than it does William Hartnell. <laughs> yeah. It does, doesn't it? That's it, yeah. I reckon somebody did take the wrong photograph, didn't they? It certainly looks that way. It certainly does. It's a very, very... Um, Wow, it's very stern looking. I, mean, I know Hartley was stern looking anyway, but it's overly stern looking, and um, it, it doesn't really facially capture Hartnell that much. No. So if you fancy um, an action figure of David Bradley as the first Doctor, <laughs> yes. you know, um, then please spend your two hundred ninety dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one hell of a lot of money. <laughs> Mark Gatiss has rushed out to buy one, and after that, it's... well, possibly. <laughs> But I heard that the um, that the ship into London is cheaper. Yes, actually, so I'm surprised. I'm surprised that they, they don't announce that on their website. <laughs> USA only and London. <laughs> I'm still wondering what the eight interchangeable hands do. Well, I know what. What does he? What? what, what? Okay, he does. He does hand signals, does he? Well, maybe he does. It was um, <laughs> once hold the cane, um, the pipe, obviously. Uh, one to handle the stone to club a caveman to death. Um, I don't really know. Um, one to um, remove the fluid link in the next episode. Um, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely bizarre. Or oh, maybe the um, other hands to hold his lapels. Uh, maybe. Maybe because it's, it's full- they just sit there. That's why he's doing other stuff. <laughs> like they sit there on his lapels. Maybe they do. on their right, not attached to arms or anything. Just well, like the. Um, what was it, the half-faced man in... Um... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had that hand on his lapel, didn't he? So... <laughs> oh, dear. Right, OK, everybody. So that's it for Tack Corner, and that's it for the news. So coming up next is our review of The Impossible Planet. So for another week, then, that was the news. <laughs> Okay, everybody, it's time to return once again to our Series 2 retrospective. And this time round, we are going to look at The Impossible Planet. Don't turn around. Entering night shift. This writing is old. Impossibly old. We've got beyond the reach of the TARDIS's knowledge. Not a good move. We must feed. People, look at that. Real people. That's us. Hooray! We must feed. Whatever it is down there is not a natural phenomenon. We could revolutionise modern science. We could use it to fuel the empire. We'll start a war. 
The beast and his armies shall rise from the pit to make war against God. The pit is open, and I am free. <laughs> And it's my turn to go first, isn't it? It is. Yes, yes. Um, do you know what? I always have enjoyed this particular story. I loved it when it when it was first broadcast. So I was a little bit nervous about coming back to watching this again because it's been a long, long time since I actually popped this one into yeah. the DVD player. And um, I know we, we sort of said previously when we announced we were going to do this, I was really looking forward to it. Um, and I'm glad to say I wasn't disappointed. I still love it. Good. I still love it. I think it's one of the... Ooh, I know this is not the first part of a two-part story, um, but I think this is probably one of the best two-parters that Doctor Who has done since it came back in 2005. Yeah, I, re- I, I, like- really do. I really do. I really do. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I think, I think it's, one of the, yeah, it's one of the best ones it's done full stop with the two-parters or, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it I- is the sort of... It really feels like a, a Doctor Who story, doesn't it? It's the space under siege almost. It's yeah. It's just got all that that traditional Doctor Who feel to it. Yeah, it is very very um, sort of heart uh, not heart no um, Troughton. Yeah, in, in 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 the way it's put together because they just sort of pitch up. They don't know where, and for once it, it kicks off a story. They don't know where they are. Which makes a change because usually in, in Doctor Who, you know, they, he knows exactly where he's landing, he knows exactly what's going on, and, and and this one he's completely he's on the back foot from the moment they land. You know, the TARDIS isn't. He said it's like it's got indigestion; it's not doesn't feel right. You know, and he doesn't know where he is. He can't decipher that that writing on the wall as well. Yeah. So, uh, and then the people who live on the base turn up. There's a little bit of question. Then it's just straight into the action. Really I mean, what I like it? about this actually is the fact that there isn't that much. Um, we don't get a huge amount of well, who are you and what are you doing here and whatever. No, you you get a little bit of exposition, but it's rather than it's more visual ex, um, exposition. Yeah, more than any, I've not, found anyway. There's not a lot. They're, they're they're accepted by the crew almost straight away. I think so. Go- it doesn't. It doesn't become part of the story as such. No, the story's no. good enough not to need to have that. That there. It's just like you're. They're there now. Let's get on with the story. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I, th- I think that's the. That's one of the things in its favour because the, I think that the, the crew at that point are, are just so glad to see anybody else. Yeah, uh, and just surprised how they managed to get there. It, as, as I said, it, it just gets straight into it. You know, I think if it had been, if it had been like a, a, a Trouton story, it would have it was spent like the first episode of the Doctor trying to convince everybody who they were, and they're not here to, you know, cause any trouble or, you know, take someone else's identity. It's usually that sort of thing, yeah. isn't it? Um, so yeah, this just gets straight into it, um, and it does sort of start off with quite um, sort of the, the, you know the creepy thing with you know with you know the the writing that the Doctor can't translate and the TARDIS can't translate either. Yeah. So immediately it sort of set up that um, that mystery, and then of course we get our very first at that time, our very first look at the Ood, um yeah. as well. I think are used to good effect in this story, to be honest. Yeah, in, in, in particular, this episode, anyway. Everything in this story, I think, actually <clears throat> sets up the characters, 
the the oud where they are what they're doing really well without you ever watching it and thinking all oh, right okay here's the explanation let's get back to this I mean, even the bits with the like the the only bit really I can think of where you sort of realise the explanation was getting a bit much was the talking about the tunnel to get through gravity tunnel or whatever it was they actually fly through to get actually land on the planet. Yeah, yeah. And the diagram thing that come up, hologram thing that come up to that. Yeah. Other than that, I think it really sort of just does run quite quickly and you're not, I wasn't overly aware that I was being given a backstory on stuff. No, no. Um, I think my only, only real concern with this story is uh, really, to, to, just to begin with, it's the Doctor and Rose, who are incredibly smug and patronising. Yeah. I, I found. Um, especially that bit in the beginning when, when, like, you know, the Doctor says that the TARDIS isn't, isn't sort of feeling well, to, to you know, to give it a what, what, want of a better description. And Rose says, oh, no, we, we, you know, we could just get in the TARDIS and, and go. And they sort of both burst out laughing. It's very, 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 very false. And, and and again, I keep coming back to this whole thing. We know what's going to happen at the end of this series. But I still, even now, even though I'm, there's a reason for them being smug, I still find it bloody annoying. Yeah. I really do. Um, Rose is particularly not a sort of patronising towards the crew. And the bit when the Doctor hugs um, um, Captain Flane, you know, Zack. Yeah. Um, again, it's, oh, you humans, you know, you did it, you came here because it was there and all that. And it's, I just found that very, very sort of, you know, as I said, very, very patronised. I can't think of another word to describe it. I really can't. Um, but once you sort of got beyond that, it, it, they sort, it sort of settled down a little bit more. And I think it's sort of like when the, when the Doctor loses the TARDIS, um, he says that that's all I have. That that was his that was his last link to Gallifrey, wasn't it? Really, last link to yeah. his, his old life, and you know, it, 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 at this particular top point in the story, it's gone. Um, and I think that you know that scene where him and Rose are sitting down discussing about you know what they're going to do because they, they said they get a lift back to Earth and you have to get a you have to get a mortgage and a and a house and carpets and cushions and stuff. Um, and there's that awkward bit between. Him and Rose about you know they could move in you know she suggests they could move in together and everything so um, yeah I mean yeah, yeah you've got the scene there where actually she's really secretly seems pleased oh god yeah she, yeah that she may well have now actually got him trapped yeah crikey yeah she's yeah it's it again it, it comes back to that needy clingy Rose again doesn't it yeah and this is why I never really took to the character. Ever really, um, and they, they set her up as a you know trust as, as a strong, independent um, sort of female companion for the Doctor, completely like, and you know unlike anything that sort of went before in, in in Doctor Who. But really, they just make her out to be yeah, I need a man in my life. Really, yeah. that's the, you know that's yeah. The... Sort of when it comes to it in this point, yeah, she's just like you know, oh good, now you've got to settle down with me. Sort of yeah, thing. exactly. Exactly, yeah. So I don't think that was... It, it doesn't quite you know, quite sit well with me, to be honest. But, um, but what do you think of the sets and everything? In it, considering it's only like, um, you know, a, a few corridors and whatever. I think it was only one corridor, wasn't it? That they came from I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I th- do you know what? I think the director made good use um, of, of the limited sets that he had. 
Um, I mean, this is this is this is what this is what the siege sort of the base thing has always been about Doctor Who, though, hasn't it? It's been a similar corridor, fairly similar rooms. Yes, and, and they just people just run between them for no particular reason. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there's that's even it. the scene where we're first running down the corridor with, um, is it Mr. Jefferson? Is it? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And when they get to the first hub and they meet Zach and the rest of the crew and that, mm. because they've got to get there to be safe. And the minute the Doctor and Rose get there, Jefferson and the other uh, one who's never really... He doesn't, doesn't, doesn't get a speaking part. He doesn't get a name, does he? No, he doesn't get a name or a speaking part. We'll just call him bloke, shall we? <laughs> call him cannon fodder. Cannon fodder, um, there you go, yeah. Or bull fodder, I don't know. Red shirt, <laughs> just call him the red shirt. That's... <laughs> Yeah, um, they then disappear back out into the corridor. So you think, "Well, if it was that dangerous, why are you going back out there?" Other than to run down it with the doctor, there was no real point in no you doing that. No real point in doing it. No. <laughs> but I do think the, um, the, the the sort of the director James Strong made very very good use of the um, of the corridor set, particularly when um, the character Toby goes outside to see who's you know whispering his name. Yeah. Because um, he, he sort of shoots it through the um, through the bulkheads of the corridor, so it, it sort of the, the way he sort of framed the shot as if like there is someone hiding in the corridor that we're seeing Toby through their eyes. Yeah, but it was different from different angles through the you know, it was up the corridor, down the corridor. Um, I just thought it was very very effective, um, and, and you know a very good use of as, as, as you know of, of the minimal amount of sets that they had. Yeah, I mean, you know. you, you, I do wonder now, thinking about it and talking about it now, is it just was a case of, oh, God, I've got to shoot the corridor again. Where can I go? Yeah, I know, possibly, <laughs> possibly. But but you could obviously, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, where the money's been spent on this story, that comes in the next episode, really. But um, yeah. but there was some nice, um, I mean, the black hole effect, I really like, actually. Which, which apparently was their second or third attempt. All oh, right, okay, okay, because I haven't actually um, sort of gone into any great detail on the on, on, on the because apparently so. when when they first did the first meeting about what it should look like, yeah, Phil Collins and Russell T Davis both said, "Oh no, we want it Disney's black hole." All oh, right, yeah, yeah, as the effect. Anyway, at some point later on, they're, they're sort of they they say they started looking into what was what the latest science view was on what a black hole should be. Oh, okay, okay. And cre- started to create that. Yeah. To which I think Phil Collinson arrived at one stage and looked at it and goes, this is not Disney. <laughs> <laughs> and they had to go back and it's sort of become a bit more of a amalgamation towards the Disney black hole than it was originally Oh right, okay. They was going to do. They was they was looking for something which they thought was going to be scientifically correct. Although I don't think anyone quite knows what a well, a no, no one can really get that close to one to find no. out, can they? Really? Um, no, but yeah, but so, I was going to say, as black holes go, the one in the, in the Disney film does look bloody spectacular. Yeah, it's it's a very odd film that that the Disney's the black hole, but I do have a soft spot um, for it, and because I, I went to see it at the pictures in nineteen seventy nine. So I've always had a um, a soft spot for it, and 
And I think yeah, it's everybody's it's, it's everybody's image now, isn't it, of a, what a black hole should look like? Well, it is. I mean, it's also, I mean, I know we're going way off topic here, but you've got that image of the black hole with the um, USS Cygnus, that very sort of gothic-looking spaceship in orbit around it, um, which I love. I love that spaceship design. I think it was absolutely fantastic, and it's got the, one of the most uh, weirdest endings ever. I'm not going to say just in a in a. Um, a Disney film, but any sci-fi film, full stop. I think because basically yeah. saying they go to hell. <laughs> really, that that's what they're saying at the end of that film. So, but even then, it's not really explained. I think people have just sort of yeah, they go to hell. But um, anyway, um, back on to back on this is this is this is, this is, this is, this is spoilers. Can you say spoilers for people who haven't spoilers? Oh, for God's sake, how, how old's the black? Oh, over thirty years old now, and it for crying out loud. So yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, there's new generations coming along every day. Oh, I don't care about that. <laughs> Especially not if they don't live in London. London. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Um, actually, as we're sort of talking about the, um, you know, the, the black hole and everything, um, that is, you know, one of the one of the effects that was used. I think there was a lot of um, sort of. I don't know if there were sort of like matte paintings or or, or sort of CGI. Um, so some of the interior stuff, the, obviously the, the the planet surface was all CGI rendered, um, which didn't look too too bad. But it's quite surprising just how much CGI has come along in the you know it's nearly this one was broadcast in two thousand six, so it's nine years old now. It's just quite amazing just how far CGI has come in that nine yeah. years because I mean it, it looks like CGI to me now. Look 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 you know looking at this. Um, but back in the day, it was wow. This is so realistic, and I'm not. And again, I'm not looking at the effects. It's just sort of like a comparison to say how far it's come. Really, well, more it than wasn't anything else. Polystyrene, was it? <laughs> it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. Polystyrene bits of old plywood. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. But um, yeah, so there was obviously a lot of money was you know was you know was spent on that and everything. But I think the I think the, the most effective thing is in this is the Sort of, you know, the, whatever you want to call it, the devil, Satan, whatever, possessing Toby. Um, yeah. The, you know the way that was done, just with the with the, that ancient um, language transferring itself to, you know, to the actor's face and hands, you know, yeah. with some red contact lenses. And I think it was very, very effective. And that scene where he's standing out on the on the surface of the planet, sort of taking in, well, not not atmosphere, is it? There, there was no atmosphere, but just standing and basking in. Was it the light of the what? What was it the um, the door said when um, Scooty was trying to find out who who walked out the airlock? He bathes in the dark light, was it, or something like that? Was it what he said? Something like that, yeah, yeah, or bathes in the black light, or you know, and just that scene when he and he, he sort of turns and grin and he's beckoning to her to uh, to, to join him. And just when she runs, she runs away. Just that thing—he just sort of closes his fist and starts to crack the glass. And again, I just yeah. thought it's very, very effective. And you don't see anything happen to her. That's what I like about it. you. Don't see anything happen to her. Then next thing you know, she's just floating in the atmosphere above the above the station. And apparently, they filmed that using an underwater stage at uh, Pinewood Studios, yeah, or something. So I think it's quite. Which apparently was the last thing to be shot. Of really. The series. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Um, it's I mean it's a very very, I, th- I think it's a very good effect. It's very very um, eerie as well. I, I thought, to be honest with you, I don't know what you thought about. What did you think about that particular? I just thought it looked eerie. No, oh, yeah, I thought it, it was 
well underplayed as well because you just sort of had it. There wasn't the because you hadn't seen her die. You just sort of roughly knew what might well have happened. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just then, you sort of then had the same experience as the people in the base got, rather yeah. than having any other needless screaming or. Yeah, that's right. Whatever. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Yeah, the, the, you know, the needless screaming. That's the. Uh... I think that's the that's the thing, isn't it? Really, but uh, no. I mean, actually, the actress um, who, who plays Scooty. I mean, she's got on to sort of you know um, other things as well. She was in um, currently starring Ripper Street. Did, did you ever watch that? Yeah, yeah. A minor um, was it minor Buring or she's actually a British Swedish actress. But um, yeah, she she was also in um, apparently the the, tw- the two of the Twilight Saga films. Again, oh, I, that's where I've seen her. Yeah, yes, of course, of course. Um, but all, unfortunately, she was also in le- uh, Lesbian Vampire Killers as well. Right. Um, so, if you've ever seen that, it is bloody awful. No, I haven't. Not. Actually, it is terrible. It's supposed to be a comedy, um, and it is just awful, actually. So, yeah, but uh, no, she's. I mean, she's a very good actress, I and mean, she's absolutely fantastic in Ripper Street. She really is absolutely brilliant. But um, so if you haven't seen that, I recommend you go and watch that um, as well. So I think he returns to the BBC on the fourth of August, I believe, oh. series series three. So this this is the series that the BBC didn't want to make, so Amazon made it because um, the BBC cancelled it, saying, "Well, you know, um, they want to make room for, for other dramas." You know, the usual thing. The BBC yeah. they want to make room for other programming, so um, Amazon have, have, have picked it up. <laughs> Nick Knowles hasn't got enough. Stuff. Nick Knowles hasn't got enough to do. Um, so yeah, so Amazon picked it up, um, made the third series, um, which I think aired earlier or this year or late last year, and now the BBC are showing it. So this is showing the series that they cancelled, basically. Mm. So they just obviously, obviously, they didn't want the full cat to pay for it. Yeah, this is so, the new BBC. It is the new BBC. Um, but for those of us in London, we're getting a full slate of programming. Yes. <laughs> um, now we, we we want programs about old London. That's yes, we do. Is. That's what we want. Ye old London. That's it. All starring Tommy Trinder and Arthur Askey. That's Asky. <laughs> you lucky people. People. Yeah. <laughs> Now, of course, the, um, I, th- I think the big thing about this story, um, before I forget, um, is getting Gabriel Wolf. I was going um, to say, I just about to say that. Yeah. I had, for some reason, forgotten that they'd done that. Hmm. Um, um, yeah, they, 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 I mean, they do treat his voice quite a bit, and then come in, it's sort of merged with um, Silas Carson's voice, who, who does mm. the voice of, you know, of all the Ood. Um, but... So you kind of lose Gabriel Wolf's very rich tones, don't you? Well, there's the bit where he's basically you've got Zach sitting at his desk. Mm. Not Zach, I mean Toby. Um, Toby sitting at his desk. Yeah. Um, that bit is actually the I think one of the best bits in this. I think it's the highlight of the of yeah. the episode for me. It really yeah. is. I love that bit. Just the you know don't turn around and it's yeah don't need to show anything. No, really that's don't. Right. Just, you don't need to. It show is anything. just how the best way to create an atmosphere is not to to make people worry about what's there in the darkness. Yeah, behind and I th- whatever. I, th- I think that, that there was a very sort of judicious use of music in this particular story as well. Um, okay, when you when you've got sort of pit round down corridors, you've got the typical Murray Gold sort of bombastic style score. But in the the scene we were just discussing, 
um, there's no it's there's no music at all really, is there? No. Um, you might get the occasional sort of like um, I don't know quite how to describe it, sort of like the screech of strings or something to sort of like to, to like to do like a, a accentuate the jump scare or something like that. Um, but apart from that, and there's also some very sort of mournful music as well. Um, and again, I don't, I don't know what instrument it is, but it's not the it's not the at that time sort of typical Murray Gold style thing. It's no. very very understated. Um, I can't quite think what, what other scores it puts me in mind of, but um, I think some people at the time were saying it's very much like, um, oh, Firefly. I seem to remember some right. of the, 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 the comments made at the time. But never, never actually sort of being a big fan of Firefly, I've, I've watched it really that, that properly. It's one of those things I've, I feel I must do, because everyone says it's brilliant. Um, I, couldn't really, I couldn't really comment on yeah. that really but but it does it suits it, it suits the whole thing you know it, if you this... told me that I'd have watched I've got it on Blu-ray I'd have watched have it have you really oh yeah. right okay okay well you have to lend that because I haven't got it at all so you have to lend it to when you finish with it so yeah will do yeah but um yeah I mean I, th- I think it was very 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 well done that what you know the way it was handled with, you know with the beast and everything um and also the way it was taunting Jefferson right near the end as well yeah um, which you get more, you get more of that, you know, in the in the next episode, in mean, the Satan Pit. But um, but um, I, I like the way it ended as well, for that matter, because again, you just saw the camera rise out of the pit that had just opened, um, and again, you thought there was something big rising up out of it. Mm. The way it was done. Um, the, the, yeah, the peril is what's to come, rather than exactly. the immediate danger. It's not left them trapped or. No, no, you just don't, you about really, to be killed or whatever. It's yeah. just literally the what is what has now got loose. Yeah, and I think it's one of the better cliffhangers that they've sort of introduced um, since the series came back. Yeah, really. It, I mean, it, I had to. I, I really had to stop myself from watching. Same here. But watching the next part, I know because uh, I just I, just because then I'd end up forgetting which which was in part one, which was in this part, and which was in. The Satan Pit, and then this yeah. whole review emerged into to one. So I tried not to watch it, but I suspect at some point before the weekend I will I, have to I go think, and watch it. I think so. Actually, I think I should probably have to go away and um, and, and watch it now. But uh, yeah, it's, it's I, I just love this this story. I really do. Um, as I said, the only sort of bad things really is, is the Doctor Doctor and Rose being a bit smug at the beginning, but that's soon sort of once the story kicks in properly. That that kind of drops off a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, apart from that, that Rose going um, when they, the Doctor and um, Ida, have to switch on the the oxygen tanks and say, remember to keep breathing, keep breathing. And and Zach says, oh, you know, Rose, start off the comm. She'll no chance, like that. Yeah. Um, again, I just think that that was uh, just being petulant and annoying again. Actually, mm. so I don't know, I don't know, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll soon. Um, We'll soon see what happens when we get round to the next episode. But uh, was there anything yeah. else you anything else you wanted to say about this one? Because I think I've sort of... I haven't really. It's one of those ones where it's actually good, and you don't really find yourself. Yeah, that's it. Wanting to needing to pick it apart that much. To no, be no, that's it. I remember um, at the time though, someone making a complaint. I can't. It was on a forum I was I was looking at at the time. It wasn't a font. It wasn't Gallifrey base. I remember that much. Um, but. Someone said they didn't like the fact that Doctor waves around the sonic screwdriver like a weapon. It's like that bit when when the Uda advancing on them um, in the 
pre-credits scene. Yeah. And like Rose has picked up a chair to, you know, back them off. And the doctor's got, you know, waving the, you know, pointing the sonic screwdriver like, like a gun. And I can kind of understand because a lot of that happened, didn't it? And it, it, I suppose that that sort of the payoff for that, I suppose, was in the day of the doctor. Yeah. When, when you know the war doctor said, "What? Why are you waving them? They're screwdrivers. What are you waving them around for? What are you going to do? Build a cabinet? Yeah. You know." So um, yeah, that that's that. I, I think by that point they sort of like realised that you know, possibly is a bit staffed in just waving it around like that because what's it going to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose from that point he could have been taking readings to see whether there was. He could have been. I don't know. No, but it just yeah. It, yeah, it just seemed to be a bit, you know, it, it, it did seem like he was he was waving it about like a like a gun. Yeah, but um, yeah. Oh well, oh well. A minor niggle, a minor niggle, really. It, it just it yeah. just it just became the one of the character traits of the tenth Doctor, really, didn't it? It did, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I think really it is that point, isn't it, where the screwdriver sort of comes to everything, doesn't it? Really, it does, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's it, I think this is where it sort of began with people sort of complaining about this was the start of like you know the overuse of the, of the sonic screwdriver. Perhaps I don't know. I don't know. It only makes really that that one real appearance in in the beginning of this episode, and it's not really used again, is it? No, I mean that is, that is the thing. At least there wasn't a an answer for that. You suspect at some point there would have been a case of oh, perhaps the. The sonic screwdriver could be a homing device for the TARDIS. Yes, I know, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, should we, should we leave that there, then? I think we should, actually. I, I just, think we yeah, should. I I think don't, I, yeah, I don't want to sort of... I know we're sort of starting to go down the road of sort of nitpicking, and I'm, I'm, I'm not really... I'm just we are, yeah. And, and we're uh, really finding some small... Yes, very small uh, things to, to, to nitpack at. And nitpack? What's nitpack? <laughs> Nitpick at sorry, nitpack. yeah, nitpack. I don't know what nitpack is. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, chewing your London phrases. Oh, I know, I know. All our London listeners will understand what I'm talking about, and that's all that matters. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, now uh, next week on the podcast, we're going back to Big Finish again, aren't we? Yes, we are. We are indeed, and we're still shying away from Zagreus. <laughs> <laughs> we can't bring ourselves to listen to it. Um, but so instead we're going to go um, for a Paul McGann Eighth Doctor story, and it's one we've been long wanting to do. Um, so next week we are going to be doing Minuet in Hell. Yes. So there I think that we... might actually be one of the big Finnish um, stories I actually heard. Oh, right. Okay. So this, 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 this will be... I haven't listened to it yet, so this is going to be right. new, completely new to me. So... Um, much looking forward to it because I've, I've heard yes. very good things about this particular story. Mm. Very good things. So um, that's it then. So we'll be back next week with another big finish review. So until then, it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk 
You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He Podcast Facebook group. The Who's He Podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.